Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. The Summer Games Fest, which replaces the traditional E3 gaming convention again this year, has kicked off with gusto. And there's plenty of big announcements from the likes of Microsoft and Capcom, amongst others. Pocket Max Freeman Mills has been following all the big announcements and joins me to discuss what's happened so far. Meanwhile, I've been talking to the founder of Kepler Vision, a company that's created the first artificial intelligence that promises to help look after the well-being of humans at night. Sounds interesting. Stay tuned for that. And finally, Pocalens editor Chris Hall joins me to discuss how he's been getting on with the new all-electric Toyota BZ4X crossover car. Following the huge success of the Prius over the last 25 years, can the company do the same with this model? Keep listening to find out. But first, back to you, Max. Tell us more about all the exciting announcements that we've had this week. Ah, thanks. Yeah, it's one of those uh, it's one of those weeks in the gaming calendar where, to be honest, there's so many announcements that you'd be hard pressed to run through them all. Uh, we've got kind of press conference after press conference, some more scintillating than others. Probably the big highlight for most people is twofold. Firstly, we had the the opening ceremony of Summer Games Fest, which kind dun, of dun, ran dun, through dun, dun, dun. a whole bunch, <laughs> yeah, exactly, a whole bunch of, uh, of uh, new announcements, but actually more so kind of gameplay showcases for games that we've known have been on the horizon for ages, but uh, haven't heard hide or tail of since then. Um, that ended with a big surprise from Naughty Dog uh, in the form of The Last of Us Part One, um, which is uh, the second time they've remaked their their hugely influential game, The Last of Us. I was going to say, haven't we haven't we seen seen that before? That sounds familiar. So, yeah, it was actually it was a PlayStation Three game. Then it was a PlayStation Four game, and now years later, it's going to be a PlayStation Five game. They've uh, they've updated it. Their reasoning being that if you just played The Last of Us Part Two in the last couple of years on PS Four or PS Five, you might have then dipped back into the the prequel and been a little bit sort of maybe even disappointed by the fact that it doesn't look 2022 standard. Um, but the, the remake looks astonishingly high fidelity from what we've seen. They've gone back to the original motion capture data to kind of upgrade the performances. And it just, it looks like a serious step up. So if you want some emotional trauma, <laughs> that mm-hmm. looks like it's going to be a good one. And that's coming out really soon. In fact, that's out in September, 2022. Yeah, they kept it under wraps quite impressively. I mean, there were rumors as there always are, but nonetheless, that'll be on the, horizon pretty soon now we um, had microsoft didn't we with their big bethesda kind of announcement is that did that deliver what we were expecting or are there any surprises there well it wasn't necessarily a big surprise but the big hope was that we'd get a proper look at bethesda's next huge game starfield and they did indeed deliver that right at the end of a nearly two-hour conference which is the way of things you tend to hold yeah. the best stuff out for last um, we got a 15-minute gameplay showcase of Starfield, which is a, a huge science fiction RPG. They uh, they included the announcement that there will be over 1,000 planets that you will be able to visit, which, depending on your perspective, either sounds like a heck of a good time for the next three years or altogether too many planets. Um, I don't know. That's, that's a lot, isn't it? That is a lot. It is a lot. I think there's a bit of suspicion as to whether all 1,000 of those planets will have 
convincing authored content on them. But uh, if you want a, a huge galaxy to explore, it sounds like it's going to certainly offer uh, that. Just it makes me feel like one of those planets is going to be like it's going to take you three months to get to. Yes, and it, it, interestingly, <laughs> it, it, interestingly, in interviews since the announcement, uh, Bethesda's Todd Howard has clarified, almost in kind of self-defense, that in the interest of realism, they're not pretending that all 1,000 of those planets will be remotely interesting to look at. <laughs> He's kind of like, you know, some of them, you're going to land, it's going to be boring, you're going to leave. So uh, don't expect countless amazing worlds, but but nearly countless worlds of some sort you are going to get. Um, and yeah, so that's a, that's a big step forward for Bethesda. Um, we thought it was coming out this year. We now know it'll actually be out in 2023. Again, the way the games industry is at the moment, I think most people would rather a game is delayed than it arrives uh, as a buggy mess because we've had, again, just a few too many of those in the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a huge kind of uh, showcase for Xbox because, uh, they've, they've got a lot of games on the horizon, but they had been slightly short of uh, games that were coming out imminently. Um, so, yeah, a, a successful... And I noticed them, that, I uh, talking of Microsoft as well, Halo, Halo, uh, I can never remember what the, the, the spacecraft is called, but that's coming to Microsoft Flight Simulator and what's probably a, a, an unusual crossover. That's right. In fact, it's out It's out right now. So if you have Flight Simulator on Xbox Series X or on your PC, you can get on there now. And the, the Pelican is the name you were looking for, which I think is a forgivable miss. <laughs> uh, the, the Pelican kind of... It's kind of a half spaceship, half troop carrier. I think it's a it's a great hulking spaceship, basically. And uh, they've added it to the game, you know, you know, in taking advantage of the fact that they own both Flight Simulator and Halo, two of their longest running franchises, Microsoft. Um, and it looks like great fun. I've already seen some clips of people flying it around, and it, it looks kind of you know unlike anything else you can fly at the moment in uh, in Flight Simulator, which continues to just get update after update. That's the way these simulators keep their audience happy. I think you know they've just added the Pelican, but they've also just added helicopters, which. If I were an aviation enthusiast, I imagine I'd be quite excited about <laughs> yeah, one, one of, my, of the two uh, big ways. One of my friends is a helicopter pilot, and he was very, very excited by helicopters coming to uh, Exactly. Flight I think that was yeah. the big news for him this week. So, okay, so we've had those, and there's a few other announcements and smaller games and stuff like that. Have we got much? This is obviously a Games Fest festival that carries on across the summer. Have we got much more to come? Things are kind of winding down at this point. Um, now we're into the phase of the kind of hangover where a few smaller developers and publishers are holding solo showcases. So, for example, uh, you know, you might have had a big trailer for your game in Xbox's showcase, but you want to do a 15 minute gameplay demo. So you have a live stream of your, your own. Those are kind of trailing on. But most of the big announcements we think are largely done. There is one big kind of <laughs> spectre over this, which is Nintendo, who hasn't really been present in all this. And that's nothing hugely surprising because Nintendo will do as Nintendo wants. Mm. Um, we suspect there are rumors that there is a big Nintendo Direct, its kind of live stream uh, platform, coming at the end of June, which could well have any manner of surprise. Because again, you know, if there's one developer that specializes in keeping things secret, it's probably Nintendo. Yeah. Um, but no, for now, I think Summer Games Fest is, is largely wrapped up. So it's, uh, it's until next year in many ways. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Toyota BZ4X electric car. And this is the one place where Toyota has done something that's fairly unique. Because this isn't just an SUV that 
is a soft road that won't go anywhere. If you buy the all-wheel drive version, it actually has some off-road skills. Spun out of the University of Amsterdam, Kepler Vision specialises in using artificial intelligence to monitor a care patient's room at night to determine whether they're asleep, walking around, or have even just fallen out of bed. With AI seeping into all walks of life, I caught up with the CEO and founder, Harrow Stockman, to find out more about how the technology works, whether we can expect it in our homes anytime soon, and what the future for AI actually looks like. I started by asking him to describe what the technology the company has created does. The, the, the problem that we, that, that we solve is there's a lack of care staff. In the Netherlands, there are 100,000 open vacancies because of a graying population. That number is only going to increase. Um, so that, on the one hand, is, is the problem. On the other hand, there has been a breakthrough in my field. Uh, I'm from the field of computer vision and machine learning. And since a few years, it is possible to, to develop artificial intelligence applications that look into videos and it can recognize what is going on. So it can recognize whether a person is standing, sitting or lying, but it can also recognize the context. So is the person lying on the floor or is he lying on the sofa or is he lying on the bed? So the new technology can articulate what is going on with a client in an elderly care center or with a patient in a, in a hospital. And the aim of Kepler Vision is to provide this, this new technology uh, as a solution to the uh, lack of care staff. So that's what we do. Now, that's, that's something that sounds like it's not that easy to do. And so how do you go about even starting about analyzing a room to understand whether someone's standing in it or someone's you know, lying down? Uh, we Yeah, so artificial intelligence... Um, it allows you to train the software. So what, 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 what we do is we have given the uh, software thousands, maybe millions of examples of um, a person standing. So that is one set of, of, of training data. Um, and then we create a secondary set where people are laying or sitting or kneeling or, or eating or doing whatever, but not standing. We then have two sets of images, one set of, of people that are standing and another set of people that are not standing. And then the artificial intelligence, it learns by itself to distinguish between the two. So the effort there is, is in annotating um, videos and photos where the knowledge of human beings uh, is translated into the deep, into the, into the neural networks. And does that mean that the setup, and I want to talk to you about how, how you go about integrating this into a, into a room, does that mean that the setup has to be a specific set of array of furniture? You couldn't just put, a, put it in anybody's room and, and automatically sign and see whether they've, they, they're, they're okay or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it, it, it is for an arbitrary room. And so that's so the idea being here is that you sell this or you provide this technology to nursing homes or care homes rather than sort of me saying, oh, okay, I'm just going to set this up in, in my, my mother-in-law's house or my, my father's house or something. No, yeah, so in principle, the, the technology would work for both sides. However, from a, from a sales and marketing perspective, 
uh, it is for us right now easier to sell to um, professional care organizations than to sell it to uh, yeah, private individuals. And so you've been going some time. How successful is this? Is it, is it making a difference within the care home infrastructure? It, it definitely does. It definitely does. So we have started uh, in 2018. Uh, our, first customer, our, our first customers have been using our technology now for almost uh, three, four years. Um, and they have become completely reliant on them. So uh, our software recognizes when a, a client in an elderly care center is, um, is in need. So when, when, when the client has fallen or whether he has difficulty getting out of bed, or whether he is in the bathroom and, and did not get out uh, in time. And in that case, our software sends a, a message to the phone of, of the nurse, who can then rush to, to the patient. The big advantage is that the nurses do not need to walk the nightly rounds anymore, which are very time-consuming, and which also disturb the sleep of, of, of the patients. And... How do you go, where do you go next with this technology? It, it, presumably, it's about refining the algorithm to make sure that there aren't any false positives or, or things like that. But do you see using this technology in other walks of life? Um, we, yeah, so we, there are two, two things. One is uh, we have started out with elderly care, and we are currently extending our technology to also work in hospitals. However, in hospitals, the people move much faster, of course, than in the elderly care center. Uh, so we, we need to fine-tune our algorithms a bit. Uh, besides that, we, we, my plan is to stay within the care domain and then to add new functionality to it. So, so one of the most often requested features is aggression detection. Uh, that people get into a fight so th and then nurses can be warned uh, instantly. Uh, another is uh, wandering detection. If uh, patients with Alzheimer uh, wander off, um, leave their room, cannot find their own room again, but, but enter someone else's room or wander off uh, from, from the premises of the, of the care uh, center. Yeah, and, and thirdly, uh, functionality like uh, restlessness at night detection. Um, yeah, I, th I think those th those are give a direction into what we aim to develop in the future. Other things are also if people drink enough or whether they eat enough, but this requires to, to track them for a longer period of time, which we cannot do uh, today. And how do you feel in terms of, you know, you've been working in computer vision for some time, are we still at the beginning of that journey or, you know, obviously it's going to become more important as technology and machines, you know, become more powerful to be able to allow us to process this. Are we just at the start of this journey or do you feel that there's kind of not much more to do here? We're very much at the start. I think the limiting, I think the limitations are the amount of compute power that we can use. This, this is restrictive, but, uh, but in principle, there's lots of new functionality that I can dream of that every nerd that will help 
the life of both the nurses and the clients in elderly care centers and, 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 and in hospitals. And do you think, not necessarily for Kepler Vision Technologies, but do you think that computer vision will become a more important factor in our day-to-day lives across a number of industries? Uh, yes, I do. So, yeah, for sure. So this technology, let me describe it as human activity recognition. Human activity recognition is, is a novel uh, is a novel branch of, of computer vision, but it can be employed in, in just about every uh, industry. So I think self-driving cars will need it. If you need to program a self-driving car to drive through downtown Amsterdam or downtown Lo- London, it needs to be able to recognize uh, the human activities of pedestrians and the body mm. language and infer from the body language whether a pedestrian is about to cross the street or whether he's just peeking in, inside a window or looking at his phone. Uh, another application is in, in retail, uh, based on activity recognition or, or body language recognition. Um, you want to know whether what 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 um, which areas of the shop are are best used in in which areas of the shop. People are picking up objects, but at the last moment hesitating. I think the technology is also useful for security. Uh, For instance, uh, fall detection is not only necessary in elderly care organizations, but also people cleaning oil tankers, for instance, or or hazardous uh, environments with with toxic uh, air uh, need to be monitored by computer vision. And you, you know, some people on the on the negative side will, will say that this in, in could lead to you know privacy concerns, could lead to uh, you know perhaps people using it for nefarious means. Do you do you accept those 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 concerns, or do you? You're obviously your your end goal here is very altruistic. It's very you know for the for the better good of of the patients and 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 the staff. What kind of things you have to put in place to make sure it isn't abused um so so first of all i I completely understand all those uh, concerns about uh, privacy Um, and for for our application um, the patients are software monitors those are patients that have physical problems or mental problems that cannot take care of themselves and, and we film them in the most private moments so we need to be very careful with what we do uh, and my answer is always, first of all, I think uh, cl- clients in an elderly care center today do not have privacy because a nurse enters their bedroom three, four times at night to, to check on them. So that's not privacy. Um, I believe instead that our technology brings privacy because it is not a human being that monitors the well-being of the patient, but it is a software program uh, that runs. Um, For that software program to run, we we follow all rules and regulations. So we we, we Mm. follow the law. We sign a data processing agreement, and in the data processing agreement, it says what we do with the data that we store. It also states uh, what uh, certifications ISO certification, NAND certification, we, we have to have in place in order for us to be allowed to process medical patient data. So that is one. The other one in, in our case is 
we do video to text conversion. So even though we use a video, it means the output of our software is not video, but it's a text message. So I think that there's a lot of privacy there too. And then thirdly, we do have customers that do want to see the photos or videos, but they want to see those videos because they want to improve um, the service that they provide to their clients. So if a client has fallen, they want to look at the photo 30 seconds before the fall, what went on in the room. And in those cases, we can uh, anonymize the face, we blur the face, so that the actual patient, you, you, you can never know, you, you can never see with our technology whether your mother has fallen or whether an arbitrary other person has fallen. So I, I, I personally believe that I do see all the privacy concerns, but I think for Kepler, for our field, I think we've pretty much uh, solved them. While the Toyota Prius very much started the hybrid vehicle trend over 25 years ago, yes, you heard that right, 25 years ago, the company has now been rather slow to embrace the battery vehicle or electric world. That is until now, with the launch of the Toyota BZ4X. Yep, it's its first full electric car. But having lost some of that trend-setting initiative to the likes of Hyundai and Nissan, how does the awkwardly named BZ4X, I mean, who comes up with BZ4X, we'll ask Chris in a minute, stack up? Well, the good thing is, is that Pocalens Chris Hall has been driving one to find out. So, Chris, how does it drive and what is with that name? Okay, let's start with the name. Um, it's it's complicated and it's it's kind of the result of boardroom thinking, I suspect, uh, BZ means beyond zero, which is obviously right. for these for the, for these cars that are going to be battery powered rather than driven by combustion engines. The four indicates that it's a mid-sized car, mid-sized SUV, and the X designates that it's a crossover. Now you say it, it yeah, it still makes no sense at all. <laughs> and that's that was one of the that's I mean this I mean let's start at the beginning. It's a great car. I think it looks good if you like Toyota design with those angles and you know futuristic kind of modern looks. It's a good looking car, mm. but it doesn't have a name like Corolla or Yaris. The only thing it has a name a little bit like is Rav Four, and surprise surprise, it's quite closely related to the Rav Four because they both share that four in their name, which indicates that they are these mid-sized SUVs, right. ignoring the fact that there are no twos or threes or fives dotted around it. It's just... And then nobody it's would realise like, that that's the mid-size mark. Yeah, it's like, it's like a stock number on a shelf rolled over into the real world without anybody anybody really realised it. Anyway, enough about the name. Uh, and on to the car. Yes, it's been a long time waiting for this. And Toyota has been saying all the time that their experience with hybrid vehicles has led them to this point and helped them to develop a more efficient vehicle that's going to offer you a better experience. In some ways, it is a better experience, but in other ways, it's very similar to the other vehicles that we have out there, especially in this segment. Because it's a Toyota, it comes in slightly more affordable than those premium marks like the sure. Audi Q4 e-tron or something like that. Whereas it's a little bit more expensive than perhaps some of the Kia or Hyundai models that we have in the same space. It uses very much the same principle that you'll have found from things like the Ionic 5, if you follow electric cars, where this has been built for electric cars only. So it's a platform that's only going to be electric, which means it has a flat floor because the battery is packed into the, the floor of the vehicle. And that means that there, there is loads of cabin space. 
good legroom in the back, you know, more than you perhaps expect from a vehicle of this size mm. and lots of lots of space around the cabin. So it's a really nice, comfortable place to be. If there was a criticism of the interior, it's that it's not quite as plush as some models out there. And if you're a Toyota driver already, you probably know that Toyota likes to use some of its harder plastics in places. Uh, and most people accept that. I mean, Toyota is incredibly successful. There's still a lot of cars, a lot of cars in the UK. And nobody really minds that because often they're bought by families and families like hard plastics that can be wiped clean easily. Easily wiped clean. Over everything. And that story very much continues here. There are going to be two different versions, front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, but all, importantly, all get the same big battery. I was going to say, what's the range? Yeah, so the, so the range will vary depending on how much, how much uh, which wheels you're driving, so that obviously the, the front-wheel drive version will have a slightly longer range, and that will get you over 300 miles, whereas they're saying that on the, uh, the all-wheel drive version, which obviously has a motor at the front and the back, that will bring that range down by about 200 miles no not 200 by 50 miles sorry Harry so you're looking about 260 miles for the all-wheel drive up to about 320 miles for the front-wheel drive obviously that's going to vary a lot on how you drive it but that's pretty good going isn't it I mean you know uh, Tesla Model 3 is 300 some of the other the Ionic is it's not that far off that number either is it so that's you know it's a decent punch in in sort of getting that range anxiety out of the way yeah absolutely it's in exactly the same ballpark as as a lot of other cars so immediately arrives as being competitive there isn't a strong reason not to include it in your selection when you're looking to buy it's a very nice car to drive there's a lot of technology on offer lots of sophistication um the the there's one weird thing on the inside where they have tried to move the driver display closer to the windscreen so that it's less of a look down when you want to glance at the dials. But for me personally, I found that it was almost always obstructed by the steering wheel. Um, so that might take a little bit of wiggling around to get around. But otherwise, you know, it's a very sophisticated, it's very sophisticated, it's quiet inside. You know, electric vehicles are always quiet, but some are quieter than others, and, mm. and this seems to be a quiet one. It also handles lumps and bumps fairly well. And this is the one place where Toyota has done something that's fairly unique, because this isn't just an SUV that is a soft roader that won't go anywhere. If you buy the all-wheel drive version, it actually has some off-road skills, which means it can wade in up to 500 millimeters of water, which isn't huge. It's not the same as a as you get on a Land Rover, but it will still cope with floods without having any problems. And it does actually have a sophisticated traction control system, including things like uh, grip control for going up steep hills and you know hill descent control to stop the vehicle running away from you. Um, and I've actually actually had the chance to test some of these things out and, and they work really, really well. So if you are one of those people who thinks, well, I quite want to drive across this this rutted uh, field to get to the other side through that Ford, um, then this is a car that will go into some places that some of the other competitors might not. And taking back to right at the beginning when we talked about the Toyota Prius and its kind of its heritage there, do we... Do you feel that this car, as a first stab at electric, has got the, the capability of, of delivering the goods for Toyota, or do you think that it's a little bit late in the game? 
I do honestly think it's a little bit late. I think that the initiative has been stolen by other cars out there. I mean, Kia with their e-Nero has done so well over the mm. last three years or so that for, for many people, it's the obvious choice. And this this Toyota launches just following the second gen version of that vehicle. This is how far behind Toyota are. But there are a lot of Toyota fans out there. And I'm, I have no doubt that this will do well. What's perhaps going to be more exciting is in the future, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more Toyota electric cars. And once they get down to some of the smaller models, like the the Yaris that we talked about before, yeah. when they start getting to some of those smaller sort of super mini sizes, that's where I think Toyota is going to be really, really exciting. <laughs> 